Welcome to the Danny Goldberg Rock and Rolls Hour. In this podcast, Danny shares his longtime connection to the path of the heart, as well as his very engaged life of social activism. If you are interested in supporting Danny's podcast, please go to BeHereNowNetwork.com slash Danny. Hi, this is Danny Goldberg, and this is Rock and Rolls. And I'm talking today to Father John Maria Devaney, who is a multiple interests, and we have many things to talk about. Uh, I met him first in the context of a recent uh, tour for Syrian refugees, the so-called Lambedusa tour that included Emmylou Harris, Steve Earle, and Robert Plant. Father John was born in 1976. He, he received uh, his uh, BA in communications. He focused on radio, and he was a radio guy, and he still is. He, he, he broadcasts from Emerson College. That was WERS. That's right, 88.9. We, we were the first to actually have Nirvana in Boston. There you go. Yeah. And, uh, and then for about 15 years, he worked for public radio stations. He's particularly, as far as I can tell, a blues freak and very knowledgeable about uh, roots music in general. But he told me earlier, before we started this, that he started out as a deadhead. But when he was 33, you, you entered the Dominican Friars. That's right. And uh, was ordained to the priesthood in 2015. So his first assignment has been to the priory at St. Vincent Ferrer here in New York City, where his responsibilities include work as part of a team at the Dominican Friars Health Care Ministry. And that's at various hospitals? Correct. We were at Sloan Kettering, Cornell Presbyterian, and the Hospital for Special Surgery. And he also hosts a weekly show on the Catholic channel of Sirius XM Radio called Word to Life. Word to Life, you got it, yeah. So that's who I'm talking to here. We got a, we got a Catholic, we got a, a music guy, and a humanitarian. But I really want to understand, to start with, um, how, what happened inside you to make the tr- decision in your early 30s to enter on this uh, on this path because it's it's a lifelong commitment you've made. Yes, I, so I'm a friar, and friars are I'm, I'm a Roman Catholic priest, but also I'm a friar. So what we'd call in the Catholic world, I'm a religious, a consecrated religious. Um, friars are kind of like urban monks. Monks will live out uh, in the country, and friars will live in the city. And a monk will stay at his monastery his whole life. He'll vow his monastery. He'll take a vow of stability. And a friar will be a mendicant or on the move. And friars came on the scene around 1200. Uh, That's it, what the word mendicant mendicants, means? Mendicants, yeah, a movement. Yeah, okay. Or beggar. It, we're also beggars and movers. So, right. yeah, not movers and shakers, you know. And uh, so I was um, uh, basically uh, really uh, having time for silence. So born and raised Catholic, grew up in Jersey. Uh, all my grandparents, maternally and paternally, were Irish immigrants. So I drew, grew up in a strong... And did you yeah. have priests in your family? We had uh, brothers. Uh, they weren't priests, but they were religious brothers who were teachers, Irish Christian brothers affiliated with, like, Iona College up in New Rochelle. And, um, but we didn't. But we were always friendly with the priests. Priests would come over to the house, have dinners. So um, being around priests uh, was nothing foreign for me, you know. And I... You know, Kept the faith my whole life. I had lazy periods in college. You know, you sleep in, you don't go. But I never had like a, I didn't believe, or I never had a crisis of faith. Mm. But I would say, though, around 2005, 2006, around the death of Pope John Paul II, mm. uh, I started kind of growing up, I'm 27, 28, you know, um, doing work in radio, live event production. The music business had been 
okay to me. You know, I, I'd gotten, I did more of the nonprofit route in the music business, if you will. So I didn't mind having a second job as a waiter or a bartender because I just felt like public radio was more creative and, uh, and uh, getting to produce a small music festival on my own instead of working for a big company like Live Nation. And all due respect to commercial radio and the big boys. But I, I definitely like the indie thing, if you will. And uh, anyway, so around 2005, 2006, uh, I started just having a lot of quiet time, quiet time in my car. Uh, I had a job running documents in and out of the city uh, from New Jersey for the big pharmaceutical companies. I was like a courier in my car, visas, business, things like that. And I had a lot of time for silence. And I started thinking like, okay, what am I supposed to do in life? And I used to start visiting the gorgeous churches because church architecture in New York City is phenomenal. It's incredible. It's, it, 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 only Europe has or maybe South America has what? New York has. I mean, Chicago doesn't even, even the other big cities do not have the concentration of great architecture that Manhattan does, and even the boroughs. And I used to spend a lot of time in quiet in the beautiful churches. So, and as that, as a Catholic, uh, I, I started to think maybe the priesthood, you know. And if you had told me 20 years ago, I would have never believed you, you know. So I thought it would be music, live event production, concerts, radio. Uh, but yeah, well, there's the, I like the old joke. How do you make God laugh? Make a plan. Yeah, so, so I that, think that's a Jewish joke. Oh, it is good. I, then we'll inherit it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know Yiddish, but it's Mensch trucked, God locked, something like that. Okay, it's definitely. Well, it's probably all faiths have this observation about God. Yeah. Uh, we try to figure stuff out, and uh, that's not what we're meant to do. Yeah, uh, but um, so. Was it a, I mean, it's it still sounds to me like a pretty substantial transition from working as a, as a person who, who has the faith, but you're still working, you're in the world, you've got a job and, and all of the regular uh, distractions, obligations and interactions that come with that. And then, and then uh, becoming uh, a friar and, 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 and a priest. Were there bumps along the way? Oh, yeah. Uh, so... I, I think the big thing is um, it's an invitation. So the Roman Catholic man who is invited, we view it as an invitation to the priesthood. Uh, God wouldn't twist your arm. It wasn't make a deal like, get me out of this and I'll go work for you. You know, anything you want. Just It wasn't a panic, but a slow evolving, you know. Now, of course, there were definitely bumps. Uh, you know, it's kind of like, me? Are you sure? This is a huge responsibility, you know, the care of souls. Uh, you know, I, I just want to be a disc jockey or, you know, go, you know, produce some shows. And then realizing the responsibility, but then also thinking like, the creator of the world is inviting me to go work for him? This is crazy, you know? And so there was awe. There was definitely awe. But it takes a while. It's not just sign me up and go. Um, after I met the friars here in New York City, the Dominican friars were sons of St. Dominic. Um, probably the most popular friar in the world is St. Francis of Assisi. You know, he's most known, the Franciscan friars. And Dominic and Francis were peers. They were friends. Right. Yeah. I, I, and what are, uh, forg forgive me, no. but it's just not my tr tradition. So I'm learning. Sure. And part of what's happening is that people listening are probably learning too. So St. Francis was a Dominican? No, he was, he was well, St. Francis of Assisi, 
uh, you know, famous throughout the yes, world. Yes, yes, yeah, yes, yeah. yes. Uh, him, start, I, him I know. <laughs> of course, and I love. More, and more than bird baths, you know. Yes, but much more. He was a young, rich man in Assisi. His parents had that wealthy business of they yeah, were yeah. fabric makers. And then he got the call to live in a radical way. Uh, he was never a priest, but he wanted to start a group of hippies, basically, right, if right, I may say, right. to live in community. Uh, you know, the, the, of course, and the church yeah. didn't initially have that much enthusiasm about what he was doing, did they? No, because he was radical. Yeah. So not radical in like you think of like uh, social unrest and throwing Molotov cocktails at the Vatican. It was basically that he wanted to live in an extreme way. So no material possessions. They would beg for their food. Uh, they would wear scraps of clothing. Uh, yet they would be on fire for their service and love of man. Uh, so basically to try and follow the life of Christ as much as possible. Um, Christ had his band of men around him, the apostles. Uh, he didn't own anything. He relied on the donations of others and the good and kindness of the people who would put him up when they were on the road and feed him. And then doing good works of preaching, healing the sick. So that's what Francis wanted So the Dominicans for. then were created in the in the uh, inspired by what St. Francis did? Yeah, St. Dominic Guzman, our founder, was a Spaniard, and he was a, like a priest in a cathedral. So let's say, say, let's say if St. Patrick's had like a dozen priests who only worked at St. Patrick's, that's what our founder did. But then when he was on the road in southern France and traveling in southern Italy, he saw a lot of bad theological errors, and he saw a lot of people getting sucked into basically what were cults, and they were doing no good to these people, and people were really Svengaliing them and mind-mastering them, and he realized, we've got to go help these fellow Christians, these fellow Catholics. So he decided to start a group of mendicants and friars as well, but we were known as the Order of Preachers. So Dominican friars, whereas Francis worked with the materially poor, we worked more with the intelligentsia and the academic circles. So the Dominicans got going, and that's where we worked. So we wanted to refute all these errors and these cults with great theology and great philosophy. And then we would preach it. And St. Dominic got the permission for the first time. Really, and don't forget, the Protestant Reformation hadn't happened yet. Mm. That was still, Martin Luther was still right. three, 400 years away. So at the time, the only people who could like basically preach in the public square was the local bishop. But Dominic, our founder, got permission to go into cities and towns and set up public debates and, and set up like a, a public ministry, if you will. Yeah. And and what, what, did you always feel drawn to this particular Dominican path or were there other uh, potential Catholic paths for you? Or this was just sort of you were kind of born into a, a proximity to this? Sure. Uh, funny thing was, I didn't know who the Dominican friars were till I met them here in the city. Right. So born and raised Catholic, heard about all kinds of saints, knew who Franciscan friars were. When I was a kid at my parish in Jersey growing up, about an hour outside the city, we used to have Capuchin friars next to Madison Square Garden. There's a friary down there. They'd come out and help out on the weekends at our church with the masses and things like that. And so I got to know the Franciscan friars first. And I always liked the friars' charism. There was a warmth. There was a, a laid-backness. There was a, a joy. And then um, when I finally realized I was being called first to the priesthood, I said, all right, if you're calling me, I want to do the more extreme level. I want religious life. So your local parish priest works at St. Anne's in the corner of Fifth and Main in Kankakee, Illinois. You know, he, he won't take vows. Religious will find a charism they match. And I like the Franciscans. 
And then I knew about Benedictine monks. So monasticism in Catholicism and Christianity really goes back to the 4th or 5th century. So, of course, we have Eastern monasticism, you know, desert monasticism. Uh, but but the Catholic monasticism is St. Benedict uh, in Norcia in Italy, really, 4th, 5th century. So I said, if we're going to go, uh, let's really go. So we make vows. I make a vow of poverty, which means I don't own anything. Now, I can have the use of things. I can have a cell phone. I can have, you know, a, a laptop. But I, I, I'll never own my own home. I'll never own my own car. I'll collect it. I'll collectively own it with the other guys. We take a vow of chastity. So I'll never marry. If the Roman Catholic Church decided to come back and allow priests to marry again, the religious, the monks and the friars have always made these vows. We've made vows never to marry because it's a discipline for the local clergy not to marry. It's, and, and it's a discipline we've had for about a thousand years now. That seems to work. Well, yeah, go ahead, please. If, yeah, if yeah. I could ask. No, we're all over the place. Yeah, I, yeah. There seems to be some indication in the last 50 years of yeah. some of the scandals that came out that it didn't always work. Sure. The, 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 there seemed to be some, some, some uh, pathology with certain people sure. in, 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 in the clergy connected to, to, to chastity. Is that the, the kind of thing that is discussed? And, and how, how do you oh. resolve those extraordinary contradictory energies between devotion to God and service and, uh, you know, abusing oh, people? Because it, it, it's such a powerful energy that some people just feel they can't control it. I mean, in fact, most people. Sure. So uh, absolutely, Danny. It's, we talk about it all the time. We're trained. We um, have background checks. You wouldn't believe it. I mean, we in formation as friars, we'd, we'd have uh, meetings and, and daily updates on, on, on protecting God's children, things like that. So with the abuse scandal in the Catholic Church, which is a awful black eye. In fact, I mean, when I was entering, I don't want to be crude with the listeners, but a couple of people, I, I, once or twice, just once or twice, I said, oh, you, you want to go touch little boys? I know that's strong to say that. I had someone say that to my face once. Yeah. And I was like, oh, oh, you know, hold on a second here. So a couple things. First would be, that's awful. It's heinous, uh, whether it's mental illness. We also obviously sinful, demonic. I mean, there's so many different things. And then, of course, the whole other conversation we could have of how poorly it was handled by the, the hierarchy in the Catholic Church, especially in the United States. Awful. It's criminal. And uh, I, oh, go ahead. I, I yeah, hear... Sure. Because you're of Irish American, yeah, and and I, Ireland also had a tremendous problem with this. I mean, I and it only I, came out I recently. had some yeah. uh, represented some uh, uh, Irish uh, artists who had people in their family that that were that were abused. You know, um, so it's not just the United States. No, globally, uh, you're right. Because the Irish scandals came out just in the last seven to ten years, versus what came out maybe in the early part of the 2000s. So you think about this. Uh, when that happens, a priest is abusing not just physically, but a sacred trust of a clergy, rabbi, imam, you name it, someone who has been entrusted with the spiritual Oh, yeah, care. and to yeah. be clear to anybody listening, this is not limited to Catholics. Oh, no, and... and this, this is a problem that I know of. There's definitely been some uh, other, many, many religions. Yeah. Probably every religion has had scandals like this. This is, by, this is a human problem Absolutely. not, it's, not it, a catholic problem no and, in and my in my opinion and danny i'm and i'm happy just to even since i'm a catholic priest to talk about just the catholic problem you know not to say oh well it's everybody else danny and it's not just us you know because that wouldn't be fair you know um but it's this uh it's 
couple of things. So the the abuse, especially of minors, uh, is a certain thing. But then we've had priests who've had girlfriends and concubines and popes who had kids. I mean, right, right, this, the Borgias, so, yeah. So this goes back yeah. for centuries, right. Danny. So it goes back to this. We believe, and we go back to Aristotle, you know, the three human appetites uh, that are good, God-given for, for food, drink, and sex. And they can be abused in many ways, you know. So so when we go back to think about, to go back to Mary clergy, does that stem from the abuse crisis? So if a man could have had intimacy with a wife and have a family and bring good things, and, and these are all good things, families, and to bring life into the world. World, then maybe these abuse crises wouldn't have happened. I, I just throw that out there. Um, not necessarily. I think what happened with that particular group of clergy and priests was a certain, if I may use the term, sickness. Uh, for, I know that's very strong and blunt. Uh, that was not handled and cared for properly. And criminal, Danny. I mean, we can't forget that. Yeah, yeah. But going back, though, I found this. When a priest begins to... Abandon his key duties, the care of souls, mm. prayer, quiet, uh, lack of love for the world's material goods. Mm. Then what happens, he starts to go look for his happiness in created things. And that might even be a girlfriend or a mistress. Whereas if he had kept up his prayer life and his care of everyone, from the sick to the poor to the people God puts in his path, then you know what? He would be much more happier and he wouldn't have this tendency to fall off. Now, also, too, Danny, there's some guys who should have never gone and been ordained, and they were really called to marriage, but they ended up in the priesthood. That's mm-hmm. happened, too. Just like people who should never have been married end up walking down the aisle. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't want to dwell more on this. No, no, I just I know. would have I, felt funny yeah, yeah. not, because uh, uh, that could be a whole hour, sure, and I don't could. want to spend our no, hour no, 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 But no, I'm no, grateful no. that you, you know, commented on it, yeah. because I think it's just part of yeah. the world that we yeah. and that and, we're looking at and i think it, we sh- as catholics we have to be open and talk about it we can't just sweep it under the rug daddy that's why i was happy to talk with that for a while yeah that, yeah um so um i you know the the current pope is is the first pope in my lifetime that, that has spoken deeply to people that are not catholics in a, in a spiritual manner that doesn't mean that the others haven't made the effort or, or had that intention but there's something about this particular Pope Francis, uh, I'm sure you hear this all the time, that that has become a spiritual example in a way that uh, people in a high profile usually aren't. There usually seems to be a contradiction between fame and spirituality. It's just one of those things. You know, we see with artists, sometimes people become very successful. It's not quite the same, you know. Uh, but but uh, from inside... Uh, how does this pope feel to you? How has it been feeling uh, since he uh, attained this position and so quickly seemed to project that diff- uh, uh, I, I know his values are consistent with a lot of traditions, but his choice of emphasis on certain things such as poverty and caring and, and prioritizing care of the poor and even talking about the, the fate of the earth uh, to my non-Catholic years seem quite different from what I'd heard for the rest of my life. How, how does it feel inside? Oh, it's great. I mean, Pope Francis, uh, you know, he's he's been the right man at the right time uh, to lead Catholics and to speak to the world. Uh, it's funny, uh, it, like when he came to New York here, I felt like everybody was Catholic in New yeah, York. Yeah, yeah. No, for, for a couple it's, of days. No, it's, yeah, I bet you yeah. did, yeah. No, and, and I'm, all right, so it's not a popularity contest, obviously, with the papacy. 
But can I say that I'm happy that he's being embraced and welcomed and his words are echoing out to non-Catholics? Absolutely. That's a great gift. And frankly, what we just had to talk about for a few minutes, we've had a couple of black eyes. So to get the bruising go down a little bit, I'm, I'm grateful to that. And I think Francis, in the depths of his writing and his prayer and his approach, uh, sees everything but realizes that if we can encompass the simplicity, the guy on the street, if you will, uh, with the depth of tradition, then we're going to be able to look at things like the care of our common home, the environment. When he made that encyclical, you talked about Laudato Si. Uh, his reminder to priests to live simply, you know, no rele- no Rolex and, and cufflinks and, 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 a, and a car on the weekend. So now, was that yeah. controversial? Uh, Francis, I think, well, you got to realize this. Francis is a Jesuit, so it means he's a religious, like myself. Right. He made the vows of poverty, chastity, and And they knew they yeah. were choosing Ex- someone from that tradition. Exactly. Uh, I think also Francis, um, uh, he's the first South American pope, first pope outside of Europe. And don't forget, Benedict was the first non-Italian pope in four centuries. So, right. So, I mean, let's admit, if we just hired a pope from, or if we just elected a pope from New Jersey every year, year after year for four centuries, we'd kind of get sick of the pope from New Jersey. You know, and granted, that, I say that with, you know, a little bit of tongue-in-cheek. But the thing I think is... Um, Francis being able to echo out, and frankly, it's a supernatural job. So we believe certain graces from God are echoing through Francis Mm. instrumentally out to the rest of the world. So you've also had this uh, engagement with with music, with with, with certain kinds of music. happens to be a lot of the music that I also love. And, um, you know, from a superficial point of view, you know, a lot of blues, a lot of uh, what the dead music was about had had uh, uh, both spirit and an earthiness about it i mean let's you, you know and and um is his, his did you ever feel any tension between your connection to music and your catholicism and if not how inwardly were you able to harmonize them because i find the biggest i'm constantly trying to reconcile different parts of myself you know i want to be this person who loves god i also like it when things go well in business i also like when people like me and yet i shouldn't really care about that according to my spiritual beliefs you know and uh you know so i have a lot of conversation with myself about how to unify these different parts of myself do you go through anything like that absolutely and um so uh number of things you know, music is like the, the, the human soul, and we're, we're a body and soul combo, right? We believe that as Catholics. And many world religions believe we're body and soul together. And so our emotional life, our passions, that's the classic term. It cries out from the soul, and it's expressed in our music, joy, sorrow. Uh, and then our so, – so the classic kind of Catholic understanding of, 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 of the human person is that we're a moral creature. So we have virtue – and vice. So the viciousness can come out of our music or the virtue, the beauty, the good, the truth, the transcendence can come out of our music as well. So like I said, I used to love to go see the Grateful Dead. And um, so when the Grateful Dead have one of their long, uh, extended jazz-inspired, blues-inspired, uh, and psychedelic-inspired uh, uh, sets of music or a couple of the songs from their catalog... You know, I definitely feel a transcendence. I feel a way where I can drift away and think of the goodness of life and the virtue. And, and, and there's and the a beauty. sense of yeah. community 
with other people listening to that music. Yeah, actually, That's part of what The Dead kind of yeah, gave us. Yeah, and, and Danny, I want to – actually, the community in The Dead is huge. This is a concept I've been thinking about for a while since I've been a friar now and, and a small correlation of why I love The Grateful Dead so much. If, if I could hold that thought for just one second, just to go back to reconciling with some of the more difficult things of our ego and, and viciousness. So I'm not into double entendre anymore. You know, I'm not listening to – music that's going to lead me to anger, lust, or, you know. Now, can we have raw emotion, frustration, disappointment? Absolutely. But there's some things I don't listen to as much, or I prefer not to listen to as much. Or you outgrow things, too. I mean, your, your maturity and your tastes change. But I've been thinking about what you just said about the Grateful Dead and community. So I live in a community. I will always live with other friars who are sharing a common goal and a common love and a common call to a common founder and a common charism the Dominican Order of Preachers. It's been around eight centuries now. And I look back, and I think one of the greatest things the Grateful Dead contributed to the American musical landscape that no other act was able to do, and and we could do three hours on this, Danny, so I, I don't want to waste too much of our time, but community. So we have a group of musicians that we love with a catalog of songs that runs the gamut, but also it was about us coming together in the parking lot, being together in the stadium, the arena, the theater, the nightclub, and then sharing that together and having it go beyond the concert. Very few artists or groups have ever had that. You might have fan clubs, but, you know. Now, that's how it happens. I've just been researching um, the year 1967 because uh, I have a book coming out in June about it. And uh, that's the year, uh, that's around the time the dead started. And the dead started, uh, they became the Grateful Dead. They changed their name from the Warlocks to the Grateful Dead uh, at, at something called the, uh, an acid test which Ken Kesey, the novelist, was... Uh, at this time, LSD was legal. That's right. And, and Timothy Leary, and, everybody. And, yeah. uh, and this... Leary was on the East Coast. Kesey was on the West Coast. And Kesey happened to have been the the one who invited the dead to, to play. And, and Garcia's talked a lot about how the fact that they formed that thing that you're talking about while they were on psychedelics and when a lot of the people there were on psychedelics. Now, I'm not... I myself, it's been many decades since I took a psychedelic. I'm not telling anyone to do anything. Uh, but but it's hard to deny that there's a psychedelic in the DNA of the Grateful Dead. There are psychedelics in there. You just can't deny that. That that that, that was the, the creation of that uh, uh, art came in that context. Um, were you ever tempted to take psychedelics? Uh, I, I was... Um... I, I can say that uh, I never I don't have a long history with them, um, and I was always a little afraid of if something chemically like LSD uh, or mushrooms, which I never tried, uh, could all of a sudden make me so out of control uh, or so beyond that I kind of didn't know where I was. I, I didn't want to end up going to a concert and finding myself drinking empty soda cans off the parking lot floor. I didn't want to go down that road, right? You know, right. but. Um, I'll say this, though. Why is it that there were moments that would take me out of my mind? I mean, you know, I say that more figuratively. No, I know exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And why would the crowd collectively enjoy this moment of transcendence that would bring us? And and, and it wasn't just that we're cheering the guys on. It it was more than that, Danny. It It was something collective. It wasn't, oh, that was a great solo. He did it again. It was, where did we just go? Yeah. And that was fan, and how can we go back there? Yeah. yeah, yeah, and that 
that that for me uh, was quite beautiful. And what I've seen now, as the years have gone by, my call to the priesthood and being a friar, my time in contemplative prayer, because friars live like quasi-monks. We observe certain periods of silence. We don't take a vow of silence. How... Just but, what yeah. is the ratio of silence? Is it every evening? Or? Yeah, usually. So what happens is, and we have to actually be careful about digital culture now in our life because we never had it until you know, t- you know, 20 years ago. Um, usually what would happen is in the evening after the sun has gone down and uh, the friars gather to pray like monks one last time, it would be the time to go back and keep everything down low, shut off, or in modern terms, you know, and it would be the time to have quiet time with God. And to Is that pray. until sunrise usually? Uh, yes, yeah, that would be the tradition. And some monastic life, not friars too much. We did way back centuries ago, but monks still to this day will get up at 2 in the morning after having four or five hours of sleep. They'll break their sleep, go pray together again, and then have either a little more sleep, quiet time, then come together, pray again, then they'll go out and do their work. Monks have to work. So that's why monasteries always brew beer make coffee, make caskets, whatever, you know, jam, bread. Mm. There always has to be work and prayer. That was the tradition of Catholic monasticism. That's part of the path? Exactly, yeah, because yeah. yeah. man needs to work. You know, yeah. it's good for us to work. Adam in the garden, you know, name the animals. Think back to the Dylan record, right? Adam named all the animals. But, Danny, to go back to your... No, I thought it says God gave names to all the animals. Wait, but what did... We'll have to pull up... I thought... I mean, I, I, we'll have to look at the Dylan lyric, but yeah. I thought that lyric was God gave name to all the animals. Oh, maybe. I, uh, forgive me. I've never studied that. I, uh, I like Slow Train <laughs> Coming and, you know, and Gotta Serve Somebody, but yeah. I, I've kind of brushed over that song. I'm yeah, pretty yeah. sure God gave the name to the animals. Uh, I don't right. think Adam did okay. that, but maybe right. I'm wrong. No, I'm we'll, wrong about we'll a lot of We'll find out after, after, yeah. after the podcast. But, yeah. but to go back to the psychedelics, um, I found this now. We have a tradition, and most religions do, and Eastern religions do as well, too, mysticism. So the mystic, the transcendent between what Aristotle would talk about the physical world, because we study a lot of Greek philosophy as priests. We have to have two years of Greek philosophy before we even touch um, uh, theology. So uh, the old term is metaphysics after the physical. Right, right. So psychedelics, by trying to expand the mind of the artist, the musician, the crowd, the collective group in 1967 with Ken Kesey and the Merry Pranksters, then how then are we trying to go beyond the physical? That's what we're doing. And now, Correct. For, for us and many traditions, prayer, silence, detachment from material things, you know, uh, that those are the cores without lysergic something, diatomite. Well, I forget the exact name. Yeah, yeah. I forget either. But, but without chemicals. But, well, I think everybody, I don't know about everybody, but the people I respect uh, would never thought psychedelics were an end they were you know one of the ways some people talk about it is that it was uh it gave you a picture of a place you could then get to not it wasn't going to leave you there that you have to go and and um a means and 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 you know a lot of the people that listen to this are students of ramdas who i'm also sure, yeah. consider myself a student of there's no designated role that anyone has in that but for or that i don't have but 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 he talks a lot about that that it's a that it's a um, th- that his guru said you know it's 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 it, it can I think his guru said LSD can get you um, with Christ for two hours, but then you have to come down <laughs> and then you have to spend the rest of your life through yeah. other, meditation, prayer, service, yeah. service and sure. love to to, sure. to to get back. To why, did, why did Ram Dass say Christ? Well, his guru spoke a lot about Jesus. Okay, yeah, you know, so uh, he was quoting his his guru. Sure, and and the teachings that that have inspired me, 
always include Jesus Christ as a manifestation of God that in some grand scheme of things, I'm not sure that in, in the ultimate heaven world that anyone, number one, certainly not just in English, which is the only language I speak. Sure, and that's too. what goes on in my head all the time. And, and form ultimately is not the ultimate, you know, there's a formless reality that, you know, I, I guess. After you, the physical. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, so, but, but, but the, the, the saints of, of India who I've been inspired by, Paramahansa Yogananda, uh, um, my teacher, Hilda Charlton, uh, and uh, Ram Dass's guru all uh, all honor and revere Jesus Christ. Hmm. They just don't feel that 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 form and name is the sole connection to God. But there's no question that it was a unique divine. Sure, I mean, changed incarnation. Well, yeah, there's yeah, just no question yeah. about that. You know, it's just it's just the only question is, look, you know, the cap. There have been a lot of popes over the years. When I was a kid. Because I'm older than you, sure. you know, I'm 66. So, all, I, in all due respect, yeah. when I was a kid, uh, well, this body is older than your body, anyway, <laughs> you know. But the the, the um, you know, when I was a kid, the Catholics and I went to a, a, a school that was mostly Catholic kids, and they told me all Jews went to hell. Yeah. Uh, then uh, the theology changed. So then, yeah. apparently, a few years later, we we didn't. But but um, the, the, the 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 problem with human beings to me is that we create tribes that exclude other people and and the and the challenge is how to honor your own tradition and also honor other people's traditions you know and uh and and uh you know to somebody like me from the rock and roll world you're a little exotic you know wearing the garments of of being a friar and and being committed to that path but it's really inspiring to me the 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 accessibility and openness that you also just have and that you have this other set of connections and so i would just ask are there a lot of people like you Pro, uh, Danny, probably not. I mean, you know, like what some of the guys, you know, the friars, because we have guys who are who are, who are uh, we have guys who are um, physics from Caltech and Stanford. They got their doctor. We got some brains in our order. Right. We got guys who are math doctorates, lawyers, uh, guys who worked in in like uh, the poorest of poor neighborhoods. And then, the, well, the joke is a couple of the guys that the other fellow disc jockeys that well, I'm not a disc jockey anymore, but the the fellow other. Air people at SiriusXM will say, uh, "Hey, it's the rock and roll friar. What's going on?" Right, and, right, you know, yeah. So, no, there's not too many rock and roll friars, yeah, if yeah. I may say, you know. Um, but um, no, I, I, I think, uh, and, and going back to your thing, growing up as a kid, but I wasn't yeah. really referring so much to rock and roll, yeah, as the ability to uh, love and connect with people that are not part of your tradition. Oh yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. to me, that's what we have to do as a human race, without question, Danny. No, absolutely. And I think just to go back to Francis for a moment. So if you had these Irish Catholic kids growing up on the west side or east side of Manhattan, wherever you grew up or down the village, saying, "Ah, the Goldbergs, yeah, you're all going." I mean, so many, so much bad theology was out there. And and frankly, we never had a theology that like you because we don't know. That's why the Catholic Church has never canonized anyone or said they're definitely in hell. We've canonized saints who we believe are in heaven because of their good, virtuous lives. But we'll never say because we never know, Danny. What happens with God? And the soul at those last moments of life. It's a mystery. It's a deep mystery. But going back, you do. You have to be open uh, to everyone. And I have found, as a Roman Catholic, now as a priest and a friar, that as I lived my my Catholicism more authentically, and I realized my own problems uh, and my own weaknesses, my own proportions for sin— 
from God willing, not serious sins, so breaking the Ten Commandments, so to speak, but that's how we call them, that I've been able to become more of myself. So I can honestly tell you, at 40 years old, sitting in a friar's habit here with you, uh, never in the world as a 20-year-old deadhead at Giant Stadium in Jersey thinking I'd sit with Danny Goldberg one day and talk about this stuff. I'm more of who I'm supposed to be at 40, even with a few minor aches and pains and a few gray hairs in the beard, than I was the kid going to see Jerry Garcia and the Grateful Dead at Giant Stadium in 1991. And that's fascinating to me. <laughs> now, in your periods of silence, do you pray? Do you meditate? Do you just sort of listen to the silence? Do you read? What 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 happens during the silence? Sure, all of the above, and you get distracted. So, um, mm. if you think about this, you know, uh, it's a habit, like going to the gym or right. go, or eating the right foods. You know, there is a, we need habits. We're all creatures of habit. You know, you go down and get the same cup of coffee every morning in your kitchen, um, or you drive a certain way to work. We're, our our life is one huge collection of habits, and we can have good habits or bad habits, and then we have to break habits, as we know. So, mental prayer and meditation is a habit. You have to work at it. And we believe, and or and let me get back to your question a little bit, because um, there is a difference between meditation and contemplation or silent prayer. So that's our two traditions. But to say what happens... Oh, I'd love yeah, to yeah. hear that those differences. Because there is a difference. Yeah. Okay. So meditating or uh, silence, as we say, it allows the clutter and the noise of the world to go away. and allows you to be with yourself and where we can hear the voice of God, as we would say. So it's not like all of a sudden you're getting... Hello, welcome, good to hear from you again, you know. Now, maybe some saints and mystics have had direct conversations with what we'd call the Holy Trinity, and that's been in our tradition, you know. Uh, But um, you're able to reflect, ponder, wisdom is given. You're able to see things in new light. You're able to bring the day before God and look at its faults and weaknesses. But then also, yes, you would read. And and how much of this... I don't know why I'm asking this, but sure, it's interesting yeah. to me because it also affects people who meditate from other traditions. We're all, you yeah. know, trying. To me, I have a part of my mind that's this endless narration of my life and uh, that, to me, uh, limits my concept of who I am as a soul, that it defines me based on my resume. We were joking before yeah. about having different written bios and, again, uh, you know, my economic or social or business status at a given moment in time. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, then a lot of uh, uh, self-criticism, uh, sure. which sometimes can turn into self-hatred, and that endless chatter. And then there is some being exist that I exist separate and apart from that, that, that I exist when I'm dreaming. You know, for example, I, I don't even remember my name most of the time when I'm dreaming, but I still feel I'm the same soul. Yes. You know, and... Uh, so, so there's different techniques people learn about how to do that. Sure. I'm not a, you know, I, I, I have my own p- peculiar way I meditate, you which, know, that which, works for me. Danny, everybody should. You can't just have one yeah. cut path for meditation or to go back, contemplation and meditation. We believe contemplation is when certain graces are given by God to bring you to another level. And but you do, can't earn that. Do so you, do you, um, cause do you worry about the mind as a, you know, in the Hindu tradition, they call it maya, you know, the illusion that's created by the mind and that there's a truth beyond the mind. I mean, is that is that a distinction that, that you get into? Or how do you, I mean, if it's a secret thing that obviously you wouldn't disclose it, and I know there are secret traditions, but what, what can you disclose about how you meditate? The secret would be is be still and know that I am God. That is one of the old, 
you know, yes. Jewish scriptures. Yes. And in the stillness is where I think we learn to have the school of, you're, you're going to be right. We have an intellect in it, you know, so we're always going to have that narration going. Because we're going to be distracted. It's part of our human nature. And we, have a, we believe we have a broken human nature. We're capable to sin. You and I could go throw rocks at cars after we leave this. Or we could Let's walk home. And, Let's just <laughs> try not to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so, but with that free human nature and our intellect, then we're able to try in meditation. Everyone should be able to, able to get beyond that. Not escape the body. Because the body is a good thing. But to be able to go for peace and to go for quiet... And then over time, we're going to find that it, it kind of like soaks in like water in a sponge, you know. Yeah. And uh, have you, in your studies, did you study other religious traditions as well as part of your studies? or, or uh... We do. So uh, primarily, obviously, Judaism uh, because of the, the roots. Well, Judaism is kind of part of Christianity. It, it really is. Right. You know, uh, we study Islam. Uh, we study Islam. Obviously, all the Protestant denominations, but it's Christianity and finding out our theological differences, basically, you know, where we study that. And then I would say my encounters with Eastern religions, Buddhism, Shintoism, Jainism, uh, Hinduism, uh, has and, and the different degrees with that, have really just been my own study, conversations we've had, uh, interfaith or interreligious uh, dialogue or uh, gathering places, which I've gone to a few things, and then reading up and seeing, as you put, uh, with the psychedelics and and Ram Dass, it's 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 if it it's the the what is the we're all talking about the means, and then you say as you talked about before we recorded the end, right? The end. That's yeah. That's the ball game. Yeah. And 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 the and that Greek terminology that we get from Aristotle. That Thomas Aquinas, great philosopher and theologian, really the bedrock of all Catholic theology and philosophy. And what he gets, and our, our debt to Aristotle is insane in Catholicism. A lot of people don't know this, and Plato. Mm. But Aristotle said everything has a telos. Everything has an end. So then questioning, not questioning, but, but, but going towards seeing how people are looking for that end. Mm. Yeah. So that, that's what I would say. And then to see the elements of truth and beauty and goodness that transcend everything in the human heart, that collective human experience, to see that in the other other religions. Now, there's a whole issue of inner work and outer work, and that that we know that some people could do outer work that's good, quote-unquote, but that they bring so much ego to it, you know, and then on the other hand, there's the extreme of being so self-involved, of not being conscious of suffering and service and ha- and how to balance the inner and the outer. You definitely, I, as I understand it, come from a tradition of service because you're doing service. You're going to hospitals and you were involved recently in these uh, in these concerts to raise awareness uh, and hopefully uh, other things for the uh, Syrian refugees. Um, how do you come to that? And tell us a little bit about that because this is unfortunately not a problem that's going to go away between now and when this is... Uh, on the internet. That's right. And and Jesus Christ said in the Gospels when he would do his preaching, he said, the poor you will always have with you. So when you hear things like, um, as you say, people who are inwardly disordered but do exterior things like the big $5.6 million check they cut to the charity on television, you know, that's the size yeah, of a right. you know, poster board. Um, and, and what's the inward movement versus the externals, right? And he said the poor you'll... So whenever I, I kind of hear like, we're going to end poverty. No, we're never going to end it. It's going to be with us until the end of time. But what we can end is our own self-disorders on the inside. So the great 
thing that we get from Judaism and the Israelites is we believe that, you know, Moses, God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. And the first three deal with your relationship with God. We can't see God. Uh, God is a pure spirit. And, of course, now we, we can get to the incarnation of Christ. That's a whole other podcast. But so the first three commandments deal with God. And if we can't see him and if he's beyond the physical world, that means we're dealing with the interior. So that's why those three commandments are first. And then what we've held on to, which the Jews to this day have, the next seven are with our neighbor. So the tradition of service and, and the harmony between Christ said, love God and then love thy neighbor as thyself. Those are the two greatest commands when the scribes and the Pharisees and the Jews of his time, his fellow Jews, asked him, give us, boil it down, boil the ten down. And he said, love God and love thy neighbor as thyself. So case in point, when you have an interior harmony with the first three, with God, I love God above all things, don't take his name in vain, and keep holy the Sabbath, then your exterior outwardness of the other seven commandments, don't kill, don't steal, don't rob, don't cheat, don't get greedy, they're going to echo out into the people you meet every day, and then you'll have harmony. It's But it's a work. It's going to be a work till we die between the interior, or you'll have a greater harmony between the interior and the exterior. Well, there's a lot of um, different versions of uh, how people seem to define whatever religion they're in. I believe the same in the Jewish community or Eastern religions and, and Christianity. And uh, some, um, for example, one of the people that was a hero of mine, I'm curious if this is someone that you studied or interested in, was Dorothy Day. Oh, she's huge for us. And uh, t- why do you t- tell, tell people about Dorothy Day? So what's fascinating about Dorothy Day is she uh, passed away in about 1980, 81. Yeah. Um, she was part, she's basically, now correct me on a few historical details, Danny, if I get them wrong. Um, she converted to Catholicism. Uh, she began the Catholic worker movement, Lower East Side, which is still going to this day. And she saw that there was a great need for work with the poor and, and to work beyond. And she saw that this dignity was critical. Uh, and that's why she started the Catholic worker movement. And she came from a life where uh, it's public knowledge she had an abortion. So she had a lot of difficulties in her past that didn't work out. But she was able to take her pain and suffering and the ups and downs of her life and then convert that through her faith to outward service to this day. And her cause is being opened for sainthood. And there were four people Pope Francis mentioned when he addressed Congress. All us left-wingers were thrilled. Yeah, and it was great. It was Martin Luther King, Thomas Merton, uh, Dorothy Day, and... Oh, who was the fourth one? I'm blanking now. Forgive me. I should have. We covered the whole thing in serious. And I, I, yeah, yeah. I'm it, was good. Up, but, it was good. But Dorothy Day is a hero. So, so the, this and Martin Luther King, who is my number one hero, you know, among uh, kind of Americans of my lifetime uh, and, and who I still listen to and read a lot because he was a spiritual being uh, at least as much as he was a political being. And and he was you can't listen to him and not know that he was connected to Jesus and to a concept of, but he also very much believed in God and all religions. He talked about it a lot. He embraced humanity. And, and, and the common, but he was the common controversial. Good. Yeah, he was controversial because he challenged, as Jesus did, as Saint Francis did, um, economic power. And th- there is this um, paradox to me that there are some people. There seem to be some branches of religion that 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 disconnect compassion for the poor from their concept of of of, of faith. Um, 
What do you do about that? Well, I'll tell you, it's it's the life. It's sin. I mean, it's greed. So if you're so greedy, or some of yeah. it is fear. Okay. I mean, I think it's greed at the level of, as Bernie Sanders would say, the millionaires and billionaires. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but it, and and there is greed involved. But some of the people that subscribe to these notions are not particularly wealthy and, and or, or or personally greedy. Sure. They just have been. Uh, uh, um, Somehow convinced that that uh, it's not that the idea of a common responsibility for each other is uh, uh, goes against um, self discipline, sure, or, uh, uh, or or some other concept of being a good person, sure. and that almost a fatalism that if that, that, that if you're born poor, you deserve to yeah. be poor, as opposed to the poor may always be with us. But that still, presumably, we should try to help them be as, un, you know, and we've seen societies that are better in terms of how they treat people and worse. Yeah. It's not like all societies have the same treatment of, 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 of poor people. Not even all societies within the United States do it the same. So do, do, do you get drawn in philosophically to these kind of when it gets political or is that against your faith to express political preferences. No, uh, because don't forget, politics, and Pope Francis just said this, and it came up during the election cycle. Now, as a public figure of the Catholic Church, which a priest is, he's a public person of the Catholic Church, same way Pope Francis is, um, we can never endorse anyone. We talk about issues, obviously. No, I mean yeah. issues. Yeah. yeah. But but to, to um, so we look at politics for the common good. We need political societies. We need political organizations. I'm not talking about parties. I'm talking about government. You know, we need and, – and democracy for the most part seems a decent system. It's not the ideal system, obviously, but it's better than a dictatorship. So that being said – Well, that it, also presupposes that there is such a thing as a democracy anywhere in the world. I mean we know for sure the United States is not a democracy. We just had a majority of people vote for the person that lost. Sure, yeah, so. yeah. And, 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 but then also we see – I think Thomas Aquinas said the most ideal would be like a parliamentary system with like a virtuous king. That was his ideal leadership, you know. Um, because I'm for, by the way, I'm for that. Yeah, yeah. So a parliamentary <laughs> you system. Could you could find the right king. Actually, you know what, know what Aristotle had? Uh, he talked about that the men should, in the Greek polis state, that they should, they should be from the farmers, the workers. And he also thought the rich would be too busy with their money to get involved with politics. So if Aristotle was alive today, I think he'd be, you know, be surprised. Yeah. But to go, to go back to answer your question, I, I don't want to digress too much. Um, yeah, yeah, so for certain people's faith or their attitude to say, well, we're going to cut this program because these people aren't good enough, or um, we're going to say, just pull your own, then where is the self-sacrifice of what you've been given, and what do we need more than food, clothing, and shelter? And then when you have the guy in the neighborhood 45 minutes away uh, that doesn't have the food, clothing, or shelter, then you've got to do your best to see how you can alleviate that and through which programs and systems. Yeah, I have... um... And and I want to talk about the refugees before we end. So that's what I hope our last few minutes can be. And this is not an exact clock that I'm on, but we're nearing the end of it. But but another way of looking at it is that I know people like I promised myself a long time ago for reasons that are personal that I would never pass anyone on the street who asked for money and not give them something. Because it's just, first of all, the amount of money that it makes a difference to me over the course of a year is not significant at all. And uh, it just, I decided for me that that was the, the right thing to do. Now, there are people that say, you know, by doing that, you're enabling self-destructive behavior. Many of these people are drug addicts. What if they use the money for 
drugs. And of course, I've heard people say, gee, if I lived on the street, I'd want to get some drugs too. You know? <laughs> you yeah. Know? yeah. I mean, like, totally. You know, and there's all different opinions about this, but, but it, it, it kind of goes to that. And when, when people would say to me, you know, those people are con men, they're this, they're that. And I would say, that's between them and God. That's their problem. Yeah. My problem is I made this promise to myself. Yeah. You know, and and that's kind of the only because because otherwise you go through this whole thing of does every single person who gets help is there fraud is there this is there sure. that yeah and I I never quite understood why you focus on the worst of the people you know but I'll tell you you couldn't be involved with a more controversial issue than Syrian refugees ironically enough it seems on the surface like a no brainer humanitarian issue but between the fear and some of it is not com- I mean I think it's an excessive an irrational fear, but we can't pretend that there's not been uh, violence. Sure. Uh, you know, we, we're here in New York City where 9-11 happened. Yeah. And, um, and uh, that, that neighborhoods and communities uh, around the world have sometimes been stabilized by, by uh, movements of people. And on the other hand, uh, uh, what do we do with, what is it, 60, 65 million refugees? Refugees, today? yeah, the, that... si- the size of the U.K. A whole, basically, there are enough refugees in the world right now to fill the United... I mean, if, it's like if the it's United... equivalent to the population. Exactly. Yeah. It's like if the U.K. was on the move, you know. Yeah. Um, and, and you're right. There are security issues and there are some things, but we live in this echo chamber of fear, man. And, and, and it, we don't have to look at either party just to go back to the election for a moment. Don't worry. We're not going to go down that wormhole. But like, man, I found with social media and what's going on. And here I am, a student of media. I went to, you know, Emerson was a great yes. media school. Right. And I mean, my peers ended up in television and film and radio and print. And and you've been able to see in your lifetime, Danny, the whole going from Walter Conkright in 1966 to what we have now is just come on. You know, where's Edward R. Murrow and where's, you know, uh, uh, Marshall McLuhan, all the, the balance of media. So we've generated these fear chambers and, and they're 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 awful. They're so detrimental because then we do nothing. Fear paralyzes. Fear paralyzes. So then we don't welcome the refugee. I think one of the greatest things was, so uh, not to pat Pope Francis on the back, but, you know, when he visited, uh, I don't where was he? I'm sorry. One country he went to, he put like 20 families on the plane or like half a dozen families. Forgive me. I don't have all the exact statistics. Right, right. He said, come on, we're going to Rome, you know. And yeah. then he found host families in Rome to right. bring these people in. So then what's going to happen? These people weren't Catholic. They weren't Christian. But their encounter of love and mercy then that's what changes the world. And is that reverberating throughout the Catholic world, those kind of symbolic gestures by the Pope? Do you, do you feel that's changed the sort of the uh, arms and legs of Catholicism uh, in addition to the mass media focus on, on the one leader? I, I do. Uh, and I also think the generation of uh, priests, religious, and the younger people, kind of the Gen Xers and the millennials who are coming up as public servants of the Catholic Church, like myself, are going to have that echo into our care. Not that the boomers and the and the silent generation, the greatest generation, that were all the leaders before us, didn't have elements of that. You you hear the stories about the the priest who worked with the alcoholics and the priest who worked here, or the sister who you know, eradicated this, you know, or helped with that. But I see us uh, having that continue to echo and, and go out even more because we grew up in societies that were so multicultural, multi, multi-ethnic. And frankly, too, just as a church, statistically, 50% of Catholics in the United States under the age of 30 speak Spanish. 
that's our future. 60%? 50%. 50%. Or come from Spanish-speaking backgrounds. Right. So, so the, the Central American, South American, and Mexican influence of Catholicism in my lifetime, Danny, right. is going to be huge. And I'm, yeah. I'm working on my Spanish. I have a little bit, you know. Yeah, yeah. But, and that's coming. And it's coming to the whole United States, too. And basically, we you know what they are, Danny? They're the, the, the Poles, the Jews, the Irish, the Germans. They're, yeah. the, they're, they're the Europeans of our age. Yeah. And some of those coming from the Middle East are what we were 100 years ago, 120 years ago. So for people that, that uh, want to be good people, and they read about these refugees. They're not millionaires. They can't make the big donations. Uh, what what can somebody do as a compassionate being on the planet when the 65 million people are struggling? Uh, what can people do? Well, two things. First is if they are people of prayer, uh, and and necessarily if it's Abrahamic or it's Eastern, you know, or if it's it's Judeo it's or it's one Christian. God, right? Yeah, yeah. There's only one. Exactly. We agree on yes, that. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. That's right. Yeah, I like that. No, we do agree. That's our first. Yeah, yeah. There's a key point. Key. Well, these are called first principles. So I love yeah. it. Uh, no, you're right, Danny. So the first thing is to pray. Obviously, to pray for the person who's not in front of you. Then the second thing, Danny, is I love one of my favorite parables from Christ. He talks about the widow's might. So he's talking about the, the Pharisee and the publican, the guy who's basically the political leader that's uh, putting his, his coin in, you know, and he's letting everybody see it. And he's dressed up all, all in regal clothing in the temple and in, in Jerusalem. And, and then, of course, then what do you have? The little old lady in the back who can only drop in two coins because that's all she's got. She mm. just fed herself. She fed her kids. And she has the clothing and shelter, and then she gives after that. And maybe even she gave from her, 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 her own stash that mm. month or whatever it was. And that, in the eyes of God, is worth a million bucks. Yeah. Were you, when you were growing up, again, different generation, did they show Amal and the Night Visitors on TV? Did you ever see this? No. It's an opera by some Italian composer named Giancarlo Minotti that when I was growing up, it was shown every year on TV, the black and white TV. And it's about this boy who has a crutch, and the three wise men come, and, and he has nothing to give them. And so he gives his crutch, and, of course, then he doesn't need it anymore. Oh, right on. You know, it's the miracle. Yeah, you know, right on. I tear up thinking about yeah, it. Yeah, it's beautiful, of course. <laughs> so, uh, Self-sacrifice. So yeah. a mile in the night visitors. Anyway, Father, I thank you so much for spending this time with me, and uh, it sure is easy doing this with a radio guy. Yeah. I don't have to talk so much. That's thank right. Thank you very, very much. Danny, it was an honor and a pleasure, and uh, blessings to all the listeners.